We started this new series on Easter Sunday called Fully Alive, this idea that the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just his story, but when we place our faith in him, it becomes our story, that he doesn't just raise us to life, what could be better than the gift of life, that he offers us in him abundant life, life that is full, life that is flourishing, and life that is complete. And the question then is, then why doesn't life seem that way? Why on a Tuesday morning do I not wake up thinking, I just got hit by a tsunami of abundance today? Why does the alarm go off and the first word that comes to our mind, our, our mind is not, praise the Lord, it's another day. Hallelujah. Why? And the reality is, I think, not just is there life offered in Jesus, full life, I believe there's also opposition We exist in an environment and we uh, live in a culture where there actually is an enemy that's working against us, that that isn't pro-life abundant. And the way we've kind of unpacked this, I read a book a couple years ago uh, by a guy named John Mark Comer, and sort of my version of, of his take on this idea is the historical teachings of the three enemies of the soul. The phrase that that we've kind of let be our guide since Easter Sunday is this, deceptive ideas that intersect with harmful desires that are normalized and even celebrated and at least affirmed in a sinful society. These deceptive ideas, we said last week, come from none other than the actual devil. Like for real, there's such a thing as the devil. There's such a thing as this enemy that that we really do fight against. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to go online uh, to our YouTube channel and watch that uh, helpful understanding of the fact that there actually is, there is a devil. But he's not just lying like into the universe. He's lying to people who have harmful desires. That's the flesh. We all woke up this morning with the very flesh that you had before you came to faith in Jesus. Right. We're going to talk about that more today that are normalized. These deceptive ideas are normalized in a sinful society. That's the concept of the world. Uh, the, the world is the historical teaching. We would call it the culture, uh, the world, the flesh and the devil, these enemies of the soul. This morning, as we talk about the flesh and, and, and I, I want us to, to address this question before I say this, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago. Every pastor gets up to preach. I can't speak for anybody else. The tendency, if you get up and communicate God's word every week, is that you really do, if you believe this book, you're like, man, this is the week that has the potential to change somebody's life. And then you wake up Monday morning and you're like, no, this week coming up, right? And I'm feeling a heavy dose of that today. Like I'm feeling this hopeful tension in my soul today that if if somebody will lean in this could really change your life like actually for real (laughs) like not just sunday i went to the thing and i'm a good person and i vote republican yay me like i'm talking like for real like let's hear from god today think this can be helpful because we're going to ask or seek to answer rather the question Am I inherently a good person? Right? If you want to get deep this morning, we're going to talk about the doctrine of anthropology, the doctrine of man. What's my view of humans? Are we all mostly good and just need a little help? Is that the message that we believe? 
That is absolutely the message that's being communicated to us by the world around us. I want to start off by giving you some self-help this morning. We're going to contrast two things this morning by helping you believe in you to start off today. The, the wave of, since the 60s and 70s, the, the, the self-help movement or the self-esteem movement. And so I was going to start off just by quoting some phrases that you've probably had your Aunt Karen share on her social media. And then I thought, well, no, for real, I bet those images really do exist. And so I just did like a Google image search of these thoughts. And so we're going we're gonna to visit your Aunt Karen's social media today. I love your Aunt Karen, by the way. That, that's not a criticism. Um, we've weaponized the, the, the name Karen. Uh, so here's the first one. You ready? I want you to feel motivated. You ready? Here you go. Look within. If you're struggling today, just look within. And if you're really struggling today, look deeper within. Do you feel motivated? There's actually a song called Don't Look Up, Look Within. If you're new to the things of Christianity or if this is your first time ever coming to church today, I need to just spoiler alert this real quick. That's not good advice. Just so we're clear. All right, here's another one. You do you. Boo. This is, is like literally when we don't tell people that they're doing harmful things. They're making a horrible decision. And the most helpful thing we can tell them is, well, you do you. Like they're driving towards a brick wall. You do you. Smash. Oh, that was deadly. Like, Here's the next one. Believe in yourself. You know, that's how a cult gets started, right? Here's the next one. Speak your truth. And really, this is a, a whole a part of the, the your truth slogans. Know your truth. Find your truth. Believe your truth. Speak your truth. Defend your truth. There's a sense in which if what we mean is it's healthy to speak out what you believe so that it can be diagnosed as to whether or not it's actually true, then by all means, speak your truth and submit it to whether or not it's the truth. That's just not usually how that phrase is used, right? Because here's the thing. If I speak my truth, but it's not the truth, how did that help anybody? Right? Okay, let me, I was going to say this at the beginning, but I didn't put it in my notes and I forgot to say it. So let me just say, if we're talking about anything that you've shared on your social media in the last, last seven days, I did not see it. I am not calling you out. I'm not seeking to shame you at all. I just I meant to say that. All right, so this next one is actually a whole ad campaign for uh, uh, Peloton. Validate your greatness. Man, doesn't that just make you feel like great? Do you feel validated? Validate your greatness. Here's the next one. Be true to yourself. This one's kind of fascinating to me because we exist in a moment in our culture where, like, we believe truth can't be known, but be true to yourself. Well, how do I know if I'm being true to myself if truth is not knowable? Anybody? Am I making you think too much on a Sunday morning? Right? The irony of that. Be true to yourself. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said that. Um, 
that's actually not how this quote originally started. It was written several hundred years ago by an unknown author named William Shakespeare. In Hamlet, to thine own self be true is actually how it originally was written. And now it's become this whole like life philosophy. What's interesting is, which character did William Shakespeare stick those words in the mouth of? The answer is Polonius the Fool. So when you're naming a character and you put a comma, the fool, next to their name, and then it becomes the bumper sticker sticker of an entire worldview, right? Literally sounds like Romans chapter 1, thinking themselves to be wise, they became Polonius the fools. That's not exactly what Romans 1 says, but be true to yourself. Here's another one. This is a big one. Follow your heart. I've got a major decision to make, and I just don't know what to do. I'm feeling torn. Follow your heart. Here's the problem. What if my heart sometimes is really dumb? Are we allowed to say dumb? Oh, the elementary students are near. Don't say dumb when you get home. (laughs) If if a mom just gave me this thing, God, sorry. Um, Follow your heart. So here's the problem with with this advice. My heart isn't just a little off sometimes. I believe the truth of God's word. Jeremiah chapter number 17 verse 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things. So this whole deceptive ideas that intersect with harmful desires. So we said last week the only weapon... In the arsenal of the enemy is deceptive ideas. And he's speaking them to hearts that are already deceived. Does anybody see a problem here? Let's have a meeting of the deception and then chart a course for my future. What could go wrong? Right? Now, it doesn't say the heart is only deceptive, uh, only deceitful. It says it's deceitful above all things. The heart also has great creative potential. The heart is passionate and compassionate. The heart can be generous. The heart can be motivating. The heart can be warm and fuzzy. But above all, like at the end of the day, we have hearts that are prone to deception. Deception of who? Self. My heart betrays me. My heart lies to me. My heart tells me things will be good for me, and then I eat that third piece of cake. Follow your heart. Here's the next one. Trust your feelings. There is nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to get some kind of reaction from you. I did not expect that. That got me. (laughs) This broadcast has been interrupted by Tim McComas. (laughs) That got me a little bit. Okay, so for those of you in the room who aren't nerds, If you've never watched Star Wars, you have no idea what Star Wars is. Uh, Episode 4, A New Hope, could have just been the end of the whole thing. 
It could have been episode all of them. Because at the end they win. Like, why is it not over? But whatever. Anyways. They are seeking to destroy the Death Star because that will be the end of the Empire. And there will be no need for any more movies. Luke hears a voice from his deceased mentor, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Luke, trust your feelings. He turns off his guidance system and he just trusts his feelings. And he destroys the Death Star. While that might make for great cinematography, it makes for a terrible worldview. My feelings change by the moment, and they're often misguided. Greg Laurie, Pastor Greg Laurie from California, he said, Our feelings should subject themselves to what is true, not develop our worldview. God cares about what you're feeling. As a matter of fact, your feelings can help diagnose whether or not you're walking in the truth or not. Your feelings are important. We don't minimize them. We don't ignore them. God did not give you feelings or the capacity to feel on accident. They just don't make a good ruler. They don't make good decisions. Trust your feelings. The next one. The heart wants what it wants. Depending on your age, you might think that's a Selena Gomez song or a B.B. Rexa song. It actually goes way back to the olden days in 1992. Woody Allen, Woody Allen was being interviewed for Time magazine by Walter Isaacson. This interview specifically was about his relationship with his wife at the time. In the, in the 1980s, Woody Allen had an on-again, off-again, very tumultuous relationship with an actress and model named Mia Farrow. Here's the thing about Mia Farrow. In her previous marriage, they uh, adopted two children from Vietnam and then adopted a seven-year-old girl from South Korea named Soon Yi. They adopted a couple more children, and then their marriage ended. Mia Farrow ended up in a relationship with Woody Allen, where he served as the functional stepfather to these five adopted children, and then they had a child together themselves. Years went by. The ups and downs and drama of their relationship continued to unfold in the public eye. They ended up divorcing each other. Mia Farrow one day was over at Woody Allen's house and she saw a framed picture on his fireplace mantle of her adopted daughter in the nude. And she questioned him, what in the world is this? And he told her that they had had a relationship for many years with what had been functionally his stepdaughter. Woody Allen at the time was 56 years old and Soon Yi was 21. That's when we go ooh, collectively. They ended up marrying each other. In the interview with Time Magazine, 
Walter Isaacson continued to press to see, is there any regret, is there any awareness of this is not acceptable or appropriate or healthy? And he never even close to admitted that there was anything wrong with it. And finally, at the end of, in, at the, end of the interview, Walter Isaacson said, why did you do this? Woody Allen paused and then said very casually and nonchalantly, the heart wants what it wants. And that has literally become the guiding subconscious mantra of an entire generation. Consciously, we reject the idea of a 56-year-old dating his 21-year-old stepdaughter. At least I hope we do. But the heart wants what it wants is now the thing we say when we want that extra piece of chocolate cake or when we want to end our marriage. The heart wants what it wants. Here's another one. Do whatever you want. Billie Eilish was quoted in Vogue magazine as saying this. This is her life philosophy. It's really deep. See if you can follow this. She said, my thing is this. Like it's this brand new idea. Are you leaning in? My thing is this. I do whatever I want. The end. Period. End of quote. That's her revolutionary thought. Just do whatever you want. Then she said this. It's all about what makes you feel good. It's all about what makes you feel good. Just do whatever you want. And we're in a moment right now where our society defines doing good with feeling good. Now, to be fair, typically when people have the do whatever you want philosophy, they'll say something like as long as nobody gets hurt or in this uh, very large artwork display, just don't hurt people. Here's the problem. There's two problems with this. We don't define who people are. Because what if what I want would hurt this people? Maybe it only is going to hurt me. Well, I'm a people. Yeah, here's the other problem. It doesn't define hurt. If we live in a day where there's no such thing as right and wrong, who defines whether something is good or bad? Helpful or hurtful? Who defines this? One more, and then we're actually going to get to God's Word. Do what thou wilt. That's kind of like the last one. It's just Old English, right? This actually is, uh, was written by a guy who was born in the late 1800s, and his influence really began to grow in the early 1900s, a guy named Aleister Crowley. If you know that name, you know that is a profoundly evil man. The rest of that phrase is, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. This is the main tenet of Thelema, which is blatant occultism, blatant Satanism. The most dark belief system that's ever shown its face in the history of America is a belief system built on, do whatever you want. So we talked last week about the devil. The reality is most of us don't need his influence. If he can get us just to follow us, he's actually already won. Anybody follow that? We might not like that. 
So I want us to look at what God has to say about this. Please grab your Bibles. We're going to jump in and we're going to move quickly. Um, Grab your Bibles. If you don't have one today, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And we're going to invite you to say our creed with us before we jump in. So let's hold up our Bibles and say this together. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory in my joy. Amen. Please turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. I love hearing you guys say that together every week. Romans chapter 7. While you're turning to Romans 7, quick overview. We started this series with this contrast of John chapter 10, verse number 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This contrast of life and death, this contrast of giving versus stealing and living versus killing and destroying versus abundance. We see that again in Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about when we're not in Christ. Verse number 1 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sin in what you once walked. We used to walk like we were following the thief. Following the course of this world. There's the world. uh, Following the prince of power of the air. There's the devil among whom we lived in the passions of our flesh. There's the flesh. And so we used to walk this way, following the influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Verse number four, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Deceptive ideas that intersect with harmful desires that are normalized in a sinful society. So Romans chapter 7, uh, chapter seven rather. we're going to look at several verses that kind of span chapters 7 and 8 because, in my humble opinion, the chapter break is really poorly placed here. People way smarter than me decided that, but they're all dead now. So I can say, I think the chapter break should have been in the middle of chapter 7 and everything from the middle of chapter 7 on should be chapter 8, or should all be chapter 7, or whatever. But that's just my opinion. Verse number 18, the great church planter, missionary, Apostle Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. You mean not Jesus? Oh, that is in my flesh. Let me clarify. (laughs) So, this question of, am I inherently good? The Apostle Paul, with his brilliance and spirit-filledness, said, I've examined me and have found that I am my own worst enemy. In my flesh, nothing good dwells. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Can I get a witness? The only time I seem to have the ability to carry out is when I don't have the desire to do what is right. (laughs) Anybody? Verse number 19. For I do not do the good I want... But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Verse 20, now, if I do what I do not want, so longer I do it, sin that dwells within me. In my flesh there dwells no good thing. What are the consequences of that? We'll skim down, if you will, to what should still be part of the same chapter. In verse number 5 of chapter 8, those who live 
according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh. Literally, my thinking and my feelings intersect. And what's the result of that? Well, here's the beautiful contrast. Those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Verse number 6, here's why this is all such a big deal. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. The reason we're talking about this today is not to say, ooh, you're so bad and you should feel bad about you. It's literally to contend for life and peace for you. If you're going to experience life and if you're going to experience peace, it won't come from you or through you. It will come when you say, I keep looking into me to save me and to believe in me and me keeps disappointing me. Verse 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Like, not just not aligned with Him and my journey needs some adjustment. Hostile! Opposition. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Verse number 8, here you go. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Yikes. So down to verse number 13. If you live, this is that walk idea. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. How's that for a warning? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. This abundant life Jesus is calling you to is outside of you. Last week, I think it was obvious that we wake up every morning behind enemy lines against the devil. This morning, the wake-up call is this. We wake up every morning behind enemy lines in our own flesh. Deceptive ideas. Hear this, that intersect with harmful desires. I desire things that are harmful to me. I desire things that are not good for me. Can we acknowledge that this morning? My wanter is severely busted. Anybody? Am I the only person this morning who's like, yeah, I want a lot of things that are bad for me. You desires things that will harm you. And by the way, the people in your orbit as well. In the lives of some people I really, really care about, I'm watching this being lived out before my eyes, that we're following the flesh and reaping disaster. And we think the world has turned against us. When really you're betraying yourself by following yourself. God's inviting us to something better. In the past... It was considered the responsibility of healthy people to restrain their whims and their desires. It was just assumed that a person had some form of self-control. Robert C. Roberts is an ethicist who studies the effects of Freud and his teachings on our culture today. And this is what he said. He said, we have been led to feel that the self is sacred. Holy. Just as in an earlier time it was thought never fitting to deny God, so now it seems never right to deny oneself. 
John Mark Comer said, self is the new God. The new spiritual authority, the new morality. And this is putting a crushing weight on self that it was never designed to bear. Now self has to discover itself and know itself and become itself and stay true to itself and defend itself and speak itself and justify itself all on a mission to make itself happy. The weight of that phrase, validate your greatness. What if I'm just pretty ordinary? And what about on the days where I just don't feel super great? I have the flu. I don't feel great. What do I do on those days? I'm not very validated. Because I'm building an entire life philosophy on my whim and on how I feel today. Which is why we have this profound state of burnout and mental health disasters. And people are fried and falling apart because we're demanding something of self that self was never able to offer in the first place. We are trying to find within what can only be found in the presence of Jesus Christ. So what we did when we read that passage is we we skipped the part that bridges the two chapters together. And this is where the hope is found. So look at the end of 7, the beginning of 8, verse 24. The Apostle Paul says, Wretched man that I am. I thought you said we were going to get to the hopeful part. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I'm honest about how broken I am and then I run to Jesus, I don't feel beat up or I don't feel down. That's where I'm getting validated is I'm in Christ. I don't have to look to me to satisfy me, save me or secure me. I belong to him. I keep betraying me and letting me down and leading me to destruction. But every time, every time I submit to him and follow him and find my identity in him and find my joy in him, I walk away more satisfied than I ever can conceive. Thanks be to God. Three quick practical thoughts from this simple idea. And then we'll be done this morning, but we're going to park on the first one for a minute. How do I walk in abundant life while in this flesh? Number one, by developing a healthy distrust of my flesh. That God would develop, grow, build, mature. Pick whatever word, paint that picture for your heart. That we would have a maturing distrust of our impulses. I know that's the opposite message you've heard your whole life. Just trust your gut. My gut's wrong all the time. And I don't mean in a super, that's why I said a healthy distrust. I don't mean I can never pick anything right. I'm an idiot. This is not beat yourself up day. Healthy distrust of my flesh. What I believe is we're infected by the wrong kind of skepticism today. We're in the age of deconstruction. And I'm just telling you, maybe instead of deconstructing our faith, we need to deconstruct our flesh. If we're going to be skeptical about something, why not be skeptical of me? And not of the God of the universe. Amen. That'll preach. 
On Good Friday, I mentioned this incredible quote by theologian John Stott. He said, until, or before rather, we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. My flesh is what betrayed the Son of God. If I was the only person who ever lived, I'm telling you, I would have eaten of the fruit. I would have rejected the authority of God. And Jesus still would have gone to the cross because of my sin. Believe that with all my heart. So why would I look to that flesh to say, please chart my future course? Literally, our best flesh efforts have gotten us in the worst of what we see in society today. 390 years ago this year, 1633, Rembrandt painted a painting called The Raising of the Cross. There's a picture of it here on the screen. The Raising of the Cross, um, it's not super clear for you to see, but it's, it's really interesting to see how he has a soldier, a religious leader, regular people in the crowd But for our helpful sake this morning, I would ask that we zoom in on the very center of the painting. And like many of his paintings, he painted himself into the story. But this time as the closest person responsible for nailing the Son of God to the cross. Even painted himself in, at the time, modern clothing. And bright blue. Often, if you care anything about art, Rembrandt almost stole the show in his own paintings as of not what's happening here. He's saying with the best skill he has to offer, I'm the problem. It was my sin that nailed him to the cross. So why would I follow me? Look back at our, our core text here. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I've known these verses since I was so young. I can't remember the first time I heard them, but I never knew the historical context of this before. I understood the meaning of the text my whole life, so you don't have to know history to understand the Bible. But interestingly, I I read that there was a... uh, There was a habit of Roman judges around the time that the Apostle Paul would have written this. Greek and Roman judges. Where their their sentence carried out on someone who had committed murder would be that they would take the corpse of the person that they had murdered and they would tie the corpse to their hands, to their waist, and to their feet. And make them live out the rest of their days looking into the eyes of the person whose life they had stolen from. And then as it decayed, it would eventually end up taking their life. Some other historians that I studied because I wanted to know, is this for real? Some others said that they think actually the corpse was tied to their back. And they had to drag it around for the rest of their days. Same thing, as it decayed, it would eventually take their life. And here's the thing, whether it's the monkey on the back or the failure in the face, the same thing is true. I look at my worst failures and go, who can deliver me from this? 
thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. The hope of this is he sets us free in himself. Which leads us to our second observation. So number one, that we would mature and develop a healthy distrust of our flesh. And number two, that we would develop a healthy trust of our Heavenly Father. That we would be, and I believe this is the simplest summary of the Christian life that can ever be offered, a growing faith in the goodness of God. That I believe a little more today than I did yesterday, that he's as good as he says he is and is as trustworthy as he therefore claims to be. Develop a healthy trust in the character and nature of our Heavenly Father. Not just that God is good, but He's the only good. Any good thing I have comes from Him. So I want to trust Him. I want to trust His leading. I've been consistently untrustworthy. And He's been faithfully trustworthy. We, this morning, are here not to challenge you and encourage you to look within and trust you more. The most harmful thing I could do today as your pastor is send you out into this week with a greater faith in yourself. It might make you feel good between here and the car. Maybe. Depending on how your kids behave when you pick them up. I'm here this morning to challenge you that we might foster a deeper faith in a glorious God that maybe we'll walk into this week trusting Him a little more than we did last week. Paul's solution was not, by the way, to white-knuckle more faith. That's just another version of dependence on self. Literally, he's like, no, the victory is through Jesus, and there's no condemnation in Jesus. It's all about him, and it's all by him. Just trust in him, abiding in him. And then here's the last very practical idea. If, if this journey with this flesh, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's that I'll have a decreasing faith in my flesh and an increasing faith in the Father. Then the simple observation is this. Let's develop a healthy trust of faith-filled influences in our lives. The reason it's so important that our, our growing practices and habits and behaviors are faith-filled things is because I still and navigating life with this flesh. Showing up to church is not checking a box going, yay, I'm here. It's I did one more little practice this week that maybe grew my faith muscle a little more to trust more in him and less in me. That I'm in small, regular habits and disciplines and practices that I'm building relationships with people who foster my faith. That I'm deepening my connection with people who challenge my faith. The way we fight and overcome the influences of the flesh is not through willpower. It's through the power of faith in Jesus at work in us and among us. 
close with this thought. Last Friday, uh, last Friday we laid to rest Pastor George Crittenden. If you don't know that name, he served as the pastor of this church for 35 years. Uh, under his leadership, we the church was relocated to this campus, 14 building programs, the school was launched, Temple Days Daycare and Preschool came into existence. And then when he retired, he worked harder, serving with the Salvation Army, visiting dozens of nursing homes every month. The epitome of a faithful man who just trusted the Lord with his life. Served the Lord with his life. His faithfulness is kind of overwhelming. I'll be honest with you, I, I told Lance and a couple others of you, I, I really struggled with that funeral service. But more than I did my brothers. There was something about his legacy. 99 years old, just trusted the Lord and served the Lord. I mean, it's just something. I got in the car after the graveside service and just kind of and what I was thinking in that moment was I don't think we scratched the surface but I did the best I knew how to do and I was leaving the cemetery had to drive kind of the whole way around the edge of it in order to get back out to the exit. And as I was getting near the exit, I drove through a little roundabout where, I don't say this with any shame or accusation, so if I'm about to describe where you're in, uncle or laid to rest, please don't be offended by this, but a family had purchased this entire roundabout for this massive monument. And engraved in the face of this were the words, we did it our way. Maybe they were just really big Elvis fans. I think probably they were Sinatra fans because they had like their faces etched in and he had like a gangster hat on. So it looked more Sinatra-ish. I'm guessing. I don't know. So maybe they just were giving a shout out to the lyric. But in the moment, it was profound to me to see the contrast. Because here's the day. We're, the, the deal is, at the end of the day, we're all going to end up in a similar spot. And we're either going to say, we did it our way. Or we're going to say, I trusted him. And I followed after him. I'm not going to show a picture of that monument because I'm not trying to shame that family but I do want you to see this picture I took this a week later they haven't planted any grass yet from that freshly dug grave of course the headstone's not been delivered yet most people have driven by this for the last week having no idea who lies here and the reality is the person who lies there is somebody who deeply trusted the person of Jesus Christ and he came to the end of his 99 years, and I believe with all of my heart, my heart heard the voice of the Father, well done, 
good and faithful servant. At the end of this deal, what's going to be our mantra? I did it my way? Or God, I trust you. I trust you. A decreasing faith in self and a growing faith in the goodness of God. And therefore, a growing practice of faith-building relationships and habits. Because I've just not been that trustworthy with my 45 years of planet Earth. Deceptive ideas that intersect with harmful desires. This morning, the, the, the journey to less faith in self and more faith in Jesus is knowing that you've taken the first step. That first step of faith says, I can't save me. I need somebody outside of me to save me from me. I believe his name's Jesus. If you don't know for sure that you've ever entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, in just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. If you're worshiping online, you can text pray FW to 94000 right now. We'd love to set up a time to have that conversation. If you're in this room, as we sing this last song, there's going to be some folks in the prayer room in the back. Lance will be back there. We'd love to have a conversation with you about how you can know for sure you've taken the first step of faith in giving your life to Jesus. Maybe this morning you would say, my flesh is just discouraged, and I need a prayer of encouragement. Come see me down front or see Lance in the back. We'd love to pray over you today. However God's spoken to you, we challenge you to respond today.